Hello, everyone. I'm Roman Polnar, and on behalf of Hebrew Free Loans Business Circle, I'm delighted to welcome you to Food for Thought, which is a series of conversations with experts in our community who have offered to share their knowledge and resources with us. Now, the Hebrew Free Loan has been supporting our Northern California Jewish community for over 123 years, and this series is another way to offer resources and support. Each person we're speaking with is a business owner with real-world experience starting and growing a successful enterprise, and they've volunteered to share insights and expertise that may help you navigate whatever you may be facing in your own life or business, and they're happy to answer questions directly. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking with John Osterweiss about how to thrive in this changing economy by looking at the past, the present, and the future. Now, John is the founder of Osterweiss Capital Management, a highly respected employee-owned investment management firm that has been serving families, endowments, individuals, and institutions since 1983. John serves as an active principal of the firm, member of the management committee, and a co-lead portfolio manager for two of the firm's flagship investment strategies. And what I think makes John so uniquely qualified to talk about this topic is his life experience, his professional career, and his philosophy as an investor, which we'll ask about in just a moment. So without further ado, I would like to welcome John Osterweiss into conversation. Hello, John. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you for being here. Um, so John, we have a pretty big topic to unpack in the next 30 minutes or so. Uh, but before we jump in, uh, I read that you founded Osterweiss Capital Management in April of 1983, which makes this month your firm's uh, 38th anniversary. Is that true? That is true. <laughs> well, first and foremost, um, on behalf of everyone, I'd like to first of all congratulate you um, and also ask, because I'm sure there's a lot that you can share with the business owners in our community about how to build and sustain a successful and lasting enterprise. And I wanna get into that a little bit later in the conversation, but first I'd like to start by asking you to introduce yourself and set the stage by telling the viewers about Osterweiss Capital Management and what you do in the context of our conversation. Okay, well, um, Osterweiss Capital Management is a, uh, a mid-sized investment management company uh, we manage separate accounts for individuals and families, uh, endowments and foundations and some institutions. Uh, we also manage uh, five mutual funds, uh, two pure equity funds, two pure bond funds, and a balance fund. And if any of you are interested, I can... Uh, you know, get into any of these uh, that you'd like to talk about. Uh, we started out uh, managing separate accounts for individuals and families and added our first mutual fund uh, simply as a way of accommodating investors who did not meet our minimums. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, we didn't really think of it as a business per se, but really as an accommodation. And over the years, uh, the mutual funds have actually become the larger part of our business. So uh, it's fair to say we're, we're a mutual fund company 
uh, with a separate account business as well. Well, I know that you uh, and your firm have a stellar reputation in the space on both sides. And so um, I, I'd like to dig into some of the experience um, that you've accumulated over the years, because you know, we're all coming off a very strange year and it's been filled with tremendous challenges, yet opportunities at the same time. And while I know we both want to talk about the future, so that our listeners can better position themselves to navigate the changes in the economy and thrive in the years to come. I also know you wanted to look back over the past before we can move forward. Uh, tell us why. I think it's important to understand the trajectories uh, of trends within the economy uh, because they do change over time. And that in turn, changes the structure of the economy and to some extent uh, changes the potential uh, for who's going to be a winner and who's going to be a loser. Uh, so if you look at, uh, you know, back to 1983 when we started the firm, we had enormous inflation. And basically the last two business cycles, inflation has been missing in action. And we may have a bit of inflation now as we're coming out of the uh, COVID shutdown, but we think that's temporary and that the, the longer term trend is really more disinflationary uh, to some extent, even deflationary. Um, and it's important to understand what caused that early inflation, why we're not seeing inflation uh, in the last couple decades. And, uh, and I, can, I can get into that if, if that would be of, of interest. Well, I, I know we spoke prior and you had mentioned there has been a lot of evolution in the last 50 years in the way that the economy is changing. And, and I would like to ask you to go into that a little bit because, you know, one of the best ways to prepare ourselves for the future is to understand sort of where we came from in the past and how our economy and the markets overall have evolved. Yeah. So uh, please do. Yeah, so, so if you go back, um, you know, to, to 83 or that period, you, um, there, there was classic inflation. There was too much money chasing too few goods, there were mm. bottlenecks, uh, et cetera. And the, the Fed basically stepped in, stepped in hard and uh, took money out. And, you know, that that really was the beginning of, of the disinflationary era. But I think more fundamentally, the two things that converged to really uh, put the nail in the coffin of inflation were one, number one, globalization, and number two, technology, which worked together to enable manufacturers to uh, offshore uh, the labor function, so that if we had uh, unionized labor in this country that demanded ever higher wages, uh, it was now possible uh, through technology and globalization to access very cheap labor uh, in, in developing uh, economies around the world. And this basically took the uh, wage part of the wage price spiral out of the equation. Uh, and then 
the second thing is that technology, as, as I think everybody knows, is inherently disinflationary. Uh, you know, we all have heard of Moore's Law. Uh, the price of computing comes down at a pretty predictable rate. Uh, and so technology products themselves become cheaper. And then the application of technology to business processes makes businesses increasingly uh, more efficient or less costly. And as we know, inflation, I'm mean, sorry, technology has become an ever larger part of the economy. So I, I don't know exactly what technology is as a percent of the economy because nobody has very good statistics on that. But I can tell you that in 1983, technolo technology was probably about 5% of the S&P. I, I may have that wrong, but today uh, it's over 25%. And if you take that as a proxy for uh, the role of technology in the whole economy, you see that this very disinflationary part of the economy is an ever larger part of the economy, which means that the disinflationary or deflationary forces uh, are larger. And so the first time we saw this was in the uh, 90s, where we had a, a long uh, economic recovery, and we all expected to see inflation never showed up. Uh, and then we've seen it again in this late, latest cycle. Uh, so what? So that's that really speaks to inflation and the ability of the economy to grow uh, with with you know less pronounced business cycles than than it used to in the past, so less cyclicality. Uh, the second aspect of it, uh, particularly important from an investment standpoint, is that technology has created a structure in this economy that a lot of us refer to as winner take all or winner take most, where the leading dominant company in either technology related businesses, but also in pretty much every industry that we follow, the leading dominant company is able to gain market share against its competitors, uh, either because, uh, as in technology, uh, of very pronounced network effects, which you can get into, or uh, in the uh, you know more mundane parts of the economy, the leading company is probably the most profitable, therefore has the most money to reinvest in more technology, which makes it more profitable and it can drive down its cost and uh, gain market share. And we, we see this in industry after industry. Hmm. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a different world than it was uh, 30 or 50 years ago. Well, so as we, observe these changes taking place. And what I'm hearing you say is that because of technology, the business cycles effectively may become smoother as opposed to these big, more violent swings that we might have experienced in the past. And 
with that in mind, what advice would you give to individuals who are investing for the future? What should they be thinking about? What should they be looking out for? Well, I think uh, you should take what I said very seriously and focus investments on these leading dominant companies in whatever industry you're investing in. That's if you're an investor and you're going to hold stocks for a period of years. Obviously, you can trade stocks uh, for short-term moves, uh, many of which will be counter to what I've just described. But if you're really interested in owning a stock or owning a part of a business for a long period of time, uh, you, you either want to own the leading dominant company or the leading disruptor. Uh, and that, of course, is, is harder to identify. But they're, they're, I mean, this is a dynamic economy and there are disruptors all the time. But uh, understand what that means in each industry. I think uh, your personal philosophy that I've uh, seen mentioned in both print and I've heard you speak about it is that um, I think well connects to what you're saying, which is uh, how the art of investing, as you say, is figuring out what you don't know. And so can you expand on that a little bit and tell us how we can use that philosophy to make better decisions about our own investments and our own money? Well, as we all know, investing is uh, buying a business or, or something uh, with the idea that it will grow in value uh, in the future. And none of us know the future uh, perfectly, and it's, it's by definition imperfect. Uh, you know, none of us thought that we would face a, a worldwide pandemic a year ago. Uh, so there are these, these, these wild cards that, that uh, come at you. But as an investor, if you own high quality companies with strong balance sheets that are the leading company in their respective industries, those companies will survive the shocks and will gain uh, market share against their uh, more stressed competitors. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to give you an example, uh, when COVID hit, uh, we knew the restaurant industry was gonna be obliterated. Nobody was going to go to hotels. Uh, this was very bad for food dis distribution, or food distributors. Uh, what we, did, what we did was we bought a company called Cisco, S-Y-S-C-O, which is the premier food distributor in this country. And we said, oh, we know their earnings are going to get clobbered short term, but we also know that their weak competitors are going to go out of business. And so coming out of this, uh, our bet was that Cisco uh, would, in fact, gain considerable market share and at some point be back to being a growth stock, uh, very steady, reliable growth stock. And so that's the kind of thinking that, it, that it's important. Uh, mm. if, if you own weak companies, uh, 
they they will get hurt in during shocks, and they will, I think, in this new economy, steadily lose market share. So, so invest in quality, in yes. high quality is what I'm hearing you say, especially yeah. in the technology space or any space where you have a disruptor or a leader. Yes. Uh, well, speaking of um, you know this lasting. Uh, companies and strength and value. Um, let's shift gears. I want to talk a little bit more about your experience as a business owner building a lasting and successful enterprise. And I'd like to ask you some questions that can help the business owners who are watching or listening uh, to this conversation. And by the way, before I ask the question, I do want to say that we have some folks who are watching live and uh, for benefit of watching us live, if you have a question that you would like John to answer, please feel free to put those questions into the chat and uh, John will answer them towards the tail end of our conversation. And so with that said, John, um, what advice would you give to business owners who are perhaps on the earlier side of their um, company's growth? Well, uh, I would say number one, uh, try to be excellent at whatever business you're you're engaged in number two i would be maniacally focused on your clients and make sure that what whatever uh, good or service you're offering your client is of real value and uh, of use uh, and then uh, i would uh, try to be as efficient as you can. And I would sum these up uh, in a little catchphrase called the three E's, uh, which is excellence, efficiency, and ethics. And I think if you, if you take that to heart, uh, that'll go a long way towards uh, uh, enabling your business to th you know, both survive and ultimately thrive. So I'm uh, typing this as we're having this conversation, but let me just make sure I've got the three E's. Excellence, efficiency, and ethics. Yes. All right, here it is for you on the screen in case you wanna take note. Um, anything else that you'd wanna share with the business um, owners, particularly as they're you know, looking to build their three E's? Anything that you've learned in your own experience? Well, I've learned lots in my own experience. Uh, I mean, I guess one of the things I would emphasize is, you know, hire outstanding people. Uh, you know, the, the first lesson you learn in business school is don't try to do everything yourself. Hire really good people to do it. And you know, if, if somebody doesn't measure up, get rid of them. I mean, it's the stronger your organization in terms of its, its human capital, uh, the better you're going to be. I know that in the, um, one of the conversations that we had, uh, you'd mentioned in addition to having these, uh, internal relationships is, uh, to develop relationships with your customers and with the community as a way to ensure that your enterprise succeeds and endures over the over the time. Um, do you want to expand on that a little bit? 
Well, I can I can uh, do it in in our own context, our own firm. Uh, you know, when people entrust you with their money, uh, they expect number one, you're going to handle it uh, in an efficient way. You're not going to lose checks. Uh, you know, the accounting's going to be proper, et cetera. Number two, they expect that you will manage it. Uh, in a manner uh, that you, both you and your client have, have agreed is appropriate for that client. Uh, so that you would, you achieve your client's goal. It, it's not an exercise in a room off by yourself. Uh, you're really doing something for a client. And then be sure you do a, a good job at it. Uh, and you know, our, our business, as you know, is a business where markets go up, markets go down. Um, you buy a stock and something terrible happens and the stock goes down. Uh, you know, you, you need to be completely open and forthright with your client and, and say, look, you know, we, we screwed up or, you know, this, this thing came out of, left field and, and uh, hit us. Uh, we didn't expect it. Uh, you know, results weren't particularly good for this quarter. Here's what we're doing about it. Uh, here's what you can expect going forward. Uh, don't ever be defensive. Uh, just let people know what's going on. Yeah, transparency, honesty, and good results, or at least good efforts is yes. uh, the best we can do. Yes. Um, I know that applies in your line of work, but I also think it applies to any business, regardless of what industry they might be in. And knowing that some folks have businesses that perhaps are outside of the, the traditional technology um, heavy realm, particularly you'd mentioned the restaurant business or the hospitality business. Do you have any thoughts to business owners in that space on um, ways that you know, they and we as a whole can continue to um, build good businesses and ensure that they survive depend despite all of these changes in the in broader economy around us that is so focused on technology. Well, I, I, I'm not sure I would have much to add beyond what I've, I've said, which is you need to provide a quality product or quality service. You need to offer it at a competitive price which means you need to run your business efficiently. Mm. Uh, you need to make the client feel valued, uh, which means you know, if, if you're in the restaurant business, make the client feel welcomed. Uh, although I guess there have been a number of restaurants over the years that have had very rude waiters and people love to go there. But uh, on balance, I would say make the client feel welcomed uh, and cared for. But you, you know, all of us are providing a service or a product that typically people can get from multiple vendors. And so you need to make the client feel that he or she is, is dealing with uh, one of the best options that they might have. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing those insights. And uh, the 
test of time and the truths, uh, they tend to endure no matter what yeah. the trends might be. Um, John, we had a question that came in uh, while you were talking, and um, I'm going to display that. The question is, what is your view of interest rates over the next year? Uh, I think it's pretty clear that uh, two things are going to affect interest rates. One, uh, Chairman Powell has said unequivocally he is going to keep monetary policy very, very uh, loose, easy, and accommodative. So he is in no rush to raise interest rates. So that's, we'll keep interest rates down. Uh, we'll push interest rates up a bit is a at least a temporary uptick in inflation as we come out of the uh, COVID lockdown. Uh, there, there are lots of examples of uh, commodities going up, uh, shipping costs going up, uh, et cetera. Uh, all of this will translate into uh, somewhat higher inflation for a period. I don't think it will be uh, a permanent uh, surge in inflation. And again, Chairman Powell has said that he would welcome higher inflation. He would like to see inflation average 2%. So he's quite willing to have inflation go above 2% for a while. Uh, but as inflation ticks up, uh, certain interest rates will tick up as well. But I would say uh, on balance, rates will tend to stay fairly low. I don't expect them to, to skyrocket. Um, so I would say rates will, will ease up somewhat. I mean, ease, move upward somewhat, but uh, it will still be low by historic standards. And I know, John, that this is a question that comes up in different ways, in part because um, I don't know if people necessarily connect or understand the, the what's happening with the interest rates. And what would you comment as a general um, insight, not just from the investment perspective, but when it comes to you know, looking at our, you know, interest rates on the mortgages, interest rates that people earn by putting their money in the bank. Um, do you think that those rate interest rates will come up as well? I think probably, you know, when rates go up, they tend to go up across the board in some fashion. So I would expect all of those examples that you gave to uh, inch higher. But again, I don't think they go through the roof. And I think, uh, you know, trying to earn interest at a bank uh, is going to remain uh, somewhat frustrating. I mean, I think rates will, will be low by uh, historic standards. Is there anything that you would want to add as a, either a, a tip, a recommendation, or just a general observation and insight for individuals that are looking to invest over the long term and um, just sort of knowing what to expect in uh, the near future? Well, I think the, the near future, uh, we are going to have a booming economy for 
one to two years, and then it will probably settle back into, uh, you know, two, two and a half percent growth mode. So short term, I think it's it's going to boom and then then we'll get back to to trend. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if that fully answered your question, but. Well, I think it's a it's a very good insight because, uh, as you know, uh, I'm we're in similar space, and I still get a lot of questions with um, kind of this underlying feeling of fear that the economy might crash or that we're heading in for the worst times, and it's um, it's not intuitive, you know, just because so many people are still experiencing uh, financial distress to imagine that the economy can do really well in the short term. And so I, I think it's an important insight that you just mentioned because uh, we are coming out of the lockdowns. The economy will continue to open and it will present opportunities to both individuals and organizations that or businesses that are part of the economy. Oh, I, I think so. I don't think there's any question. And, uh, you know, Biden is trying to... Uh, give us a two trillion dollar infrastructure uh, mm -hmm. stimulus now whether you know we get all that i don't know but um, there will be significant fiscal stimulus coming out of the federal government coupled with low interest rates coupled with a consumer that hasn't had any place to spend money for the last year mm. so yeah there are a lot of people who are in great stress because they lost their jobs. They're, they're, you know, getting potentially thrown out of apartments, et cetera. But uh, there are also lots of people who've been working and haven't gone to restaurants, haven't gone on vacation, hasn't, I haven't taken shirts to the laundry in a year. I haven't had a haircut in a year because I probably haven't needed it. But, um, you know, I haven't been to a restaurant in a year. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't been on a vacation in a year or, you know, travel, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so the consumer's got a lot of money to spend. And I think is, uh, you know, people are vaccinated and they feel safe to move around. Uh, you're going to see airplanes fill up. You're going to see hotels fill up. You're going to see restaurants fill up. Uh, there's going to be a lot of economic activity. Well, and, and you're, um, you're right to point out, uh, of course, that our economy, for the most part, is driven by the consumer and the spending 70%. that the consumer has, 70%. Yep. And so 70%. the fact that there's... I'm sorry? 70%. Mm -hmm. Right. And so all that pent-up demand and all the money that the consumer has been saving, those who are fortunate to have uh, had the savings are certainly um, primed to start spending it sometime in the near future. Yeah. Well, um, it's nice to end on a positive note, despite the fact that this has been a very challenging year for a lot of people. Uh, are there any final uh, parting thoughts that you would like to leave our listeners with, whether it would be on the personal investment side or for the business uh, or the small business owner community? Uh, just one thought on the investment side, which we haven't really talked about. Uh, in an era of very low interest rates, uh, a lot of us are thinking that the best way to 
generate income as an investor is to buy common stock in companies with growing dividends. Uh, you know, maybe not companies with the highest dividends, mm -hmm. uh, because oftentimes those are companies that are stressed and, and aren't growing and can't raise their dividends. But uh, buying a basket of companies where you can be pretty assured that uh, these dividends will grow over time. And I think that uh, that's actually a strategy that we're emphasizing quite a bit. And I think it's uh, very appropriate for this these times. That's a good tip. Uh, was there anything else, John, that you wanted to add? No, I think that's it. That's, uh... Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, I, I particularly am taking away your three E's. As a reminder, whether we're in business or this is uh, good advice for us and to use ourselves as individuals, as practice excellence, efficiency, and ethics. And uh, if people have further questions um, and they'd like to learn more about Osterweiss Capital Management or have questions relating to investing, uh, who could they contact? I said they could contact uh, Chris Zand in our organization. He's the director of private client services. He's uh, a lawyer by background and a certified financial planner and uh, can be very, very helpful to people. Uh, John, I went ahead and put uh, Chris's oh, email up. So for folks who um, do have questions, feel free to reach out. Um, and John, I just want to thank you on you know, personally and on behalf of the Hebrew Free Loan, the business circle, and the broader community for taking the time to be with us and for sharing your thoughts, your insights, and your wisdom. Uh, thank you again. Wonderful having this conversation with you. Roman, I appreciated it. It was fun. Well, thank you. And to everyone, good luck, be well, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye, Bye -bye. John.